Hi there. Before we start, if you're new to our podcast, thank you for tuning in to our show and we hope you will stay with us for a very long time. And if you're a regular listener, thank you so much for your continuous support throughout this period of uncertainty. We're really grateful for all of your kind words and encouragement. It has really helped this podcast to grant a great exposure as our mission is to create perspectives by the people who look like us and a woman and also people who are marginalized historically to the sideline of conversation. So you haven't already, we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Omni, Apple, Google or Spotify. And of course, leave a rating and a review if you like. We also welcome engagement through our Facebook and Instagram platforms. We truly appreciate the support from you to help us to increase the visibility of different perspectives. Enjoy today's show. Hey all, this is Jessie. Hi, this is Helen. And this is Asian Bitches Down Under podcast. Guys, it is well into spring the first couple of weeks. Um, so I'm sitting here in my room. It's sunny on a Friday. Um, I have been really excited this week watching uh, a new show on Binge because I, you know how I like hated the White Lotus, totally like <laughs> wasted all your time, like, bad writing, and well, like it's just another, it's another show or another piece of art where I was just disappointed. Uh, I was mm-hmm. hyped up. I really shouldn't take anyone's recommendation seriously. Um, I think the best recommendation I've ever had was um, my friend recommended for ages he spent like almost two years convincing me to watch search party i respond to recommendations the way i naturally respond to um advice like i really bulk when people try and give me advice mm-hmm. i don't ever go to people who had for advice i go to people in order for them to give me a space to hear my own self talk through uh, mm-hmm. my own shit that's like what a best friend or a best therapist does I don't like advice. Similarly, I don't tend to like uh, recommendations because inevitably I always just are left disappointed. Um, But the best recommendation I've got is Search Party from a friend. And that was like, honestly, Search Party is the best show ever created, I think, hands down. Um, It's on Stan if you Mm -hmm. haven't seen it before. But the show I started watching this week was um, because I'm trying to use up as much, you know, trying to legitimize qualify my signing up to binge was um this sh- this series called american crime stories have you heard of it helen no i haven't yeah tell me about it yeah american crime stories um it's on its third season the first two the first season um was 10 episodes it was about oj simpson the second one was about the assassination of Gio- gianni versace also 10 episodes and the third one which is the one i'm i'm actually watching now because I haven't seen season one or two because I'm not really someone who naturally gravitates towards crime, true crime. Mm-hmm. It's about the Clinton impeachment. Now, I don't know how much oh. you know, Helen, but it happened around um, 2000, uh, sorry, 1995, 1996. I was like in primary school, like very young yeah, at that yeah. point. And then when I grew up seeing the backlash of that incident, that historical incident, my knowledge about it was really, really, really superficial. Like I had never actually sat down and read about it i know that lewinsky has been able to be rehabilitated back into society where she's now Mm -hmm. respected feminist and advocate for you know multiple different issues Mm -hmm. but i actually have to say helen i was drawn to clicking on this because you know when you go on binge it's almost like walking into one of those crazy candy stores that you get at some Mm. like central coast shop like the entrance where they have like 
a gazillion different types of candy and you don't mm-hmm. ever know what to pick. Which one so you're, to pick. Yeah, there. you're overwhelmed by the choice. And so I feel that same overwhelming sense of um, unable to decide whenever I click onto binge or like the homepage of binge stan or Netflix. But the reason mm. how the reason why I ended up clicking on impeachment, the third season of American Crime, because of the actual poster. So the poster okay. of the sh- season three shows Lewinsky from the back. So we see a picture of Monica Lewinsky's back, and she's looking at the White House. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah, yeah, and immediate, and she's wearing this like. The famous one of the famous kind of berets that she was photographed, footaged. There was a footage famously of her having a public hug, sharing mm-hmm. a hug with President Clinton during somehow during their embroiled affair. And immediately I was pulled into thinking, I'm going to be interested in this story because A, you know, you and I are both interested in stories mm-hmm. about women from women's perspectives. And B, this is like a monumentally charged, historically sort of sensational period in, in history where and, and it'll be told and I knew from that poster that it'll be from her perspective. Okay. Uh-huh. That drew me in immediately. And the first episode I mean it's really great writing. Um I can't recommend it enough for people to go out and check it out. It's like the episodes are released every week and so um so far there's only been two episodes. And um the first episode actually centers more on Linda Tripp who worked as a counsel to one of the people in the White during House that time. um during pre- during Clinton's first administration mm-hmm. and um, it's so good because the whole first episode and the second episode we're really really seeing what was going on through um, Linda Tripp's eyes mm-hmm. and Monica Lewinsky's eyes and I have to say I don't care how much power one accumulates um, my own personal bias is towards female uh, female perspectives and then this um, third season is actually based the storyline is based around a book written by Jeffrey Tobin who was you know that guy who accidentally exposed himself the writer from the New Yorker you know the really large guy who accidentally exposed himself masturbating on Zoom last year so he wrote a book Uh he he wrote a book called A Vast Conspiracy The Real Story Behind the Sex Scandal that nearly brought down the president he wrote a book um, about that a few years ago and so this series is loosely based around his book Mm -hmm. but um, what's really funny is that um, Sarah Paulson, one of your favorite yeah, yeah, actresses yeah. from Ratchet, Ratchet yeah. she plays yeah she plays um, Linda Tripp, and she's oh, phenomenally okay. good. She's phenomenal in that. And Lewinsky is played by Beanie Bernie, I believe her name is Bernie um, Feinstein, who's the lead character in Booksmart. Do you remember Booksmart? Yes, that uh-huh. film. By Olivia Wilde, yeah, like all-time favorite, one of my all-time favorite films. And like at first, you think, how can she pull that off? Because she's got such a like cool personality, you know, from that movie. Yeah, and so like bubbly, yeah. But mm-hmm. honestly, she does such a extraordinary job of depicting the sort of naivety of Monica Lewinsky mm-hmm. and sort of her good intentions okay. and and her kind of girlish crush that mm-hmm. one develops when you know anyone in their 20s would know and the sort of like the fucked up shit that she was put mm. through by the administration and by Bill Clinton like I love the show because you really see the truth and the truth is Bill Clinton was a fucking like um sexual mm-hmm. harasser and a, a, like abuser, honestly. Like, he would just randomly kiss women that he liked. 
that he came across in his in his administration. Like I can't recommend the series enough. So far, I'm really enjoying it. Do you know the <clears throat> excuse me? Do you know the background of the writer who did this、uh, season on impeachment of Clinton? Well, the writer is actually Tom Rob Smith, and I don't know much about him.、Mm-hmm. It's, some of the episodes are directed by Ryan Murphy, who some people might know. Yes. According to Wiki,、um, Tom Rob Smith is a straight white guy、uh, from <laughs> England.、Um, he、uh-huh. went to St John's College, Cambridge. So I feel like he's like pretty much like someone in you know pretty typical of the、um, standard American writer in the writers' room. But but I really do feel like oh maybe he's gay. It says he he was formerly the partner of Ben Stevenson. So I feel like、okay. Tom might be gay.、Mm-hmm. I love. I love any story that centers on a female, and we see what she goes through,、mm-hmm. and you know what she's thinking and what she experienced.、Um, has Lo- Monica Lewinsky has came out and wrote books later, hasn't she? Has I believe she, she, she has. has. Yeah, she has, I'm pretty yeah. sure she has. Yeah, I can have a look right now.、Um, I'll, I'll just like、um, she has written books. Oh no, actually, it says here. She's participated in documentaries like the Clinton、mm-hmm. Affair in back in two thousand and eighteen, but I don't believe she's written any books. So, like documentaries or shows like this, what you're currently watching now is pretty much she's telling her side of the story. Her side, exactly.、Mm-hmm. Well, she's not telling her side of the story. It's just her side of the story is being told、centered. by someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah.、Uh-huh. It's just being centered. Yep, yep. Uh, another question that I would like to know about this show is that who played Hillary Clinton? Was it okay? Okay,、um, <laughs> I I was just gonna say um. So the person who plays Hillary Clinton is not famous. However,、mm-hmm. the person who plays um Bill Clinton is your one of your favorite actors. Oh, okay. Can you guess? The、uh, American. Like you used to talk. A- Well, you used to talk about him a lot, Helen. Okay. And I used to say, "Ew, he's so gross." And、um, that's another clue. But you don't. I feel like you haven't talked about him for a while. And the next clue I'll give is that he's not American. I'm pretty sure he's not American. Clive Owen. Yes. <laughs> well done. <laughs> you got it good first. But he's、yes. not a match. I don't think that he's like、yeah. his appearance is not. Yeah. A well, particular good match as well. No, no. That's just funny. What? What? I think.、Um, It's the way that I think about,、um, you know, Rocket, Rocket Boy, Rocket Man, the movie about、um, John Elton John, John, a yeah, few years yeah, ago, yeah. played by that guy from、um, Eggy, who played、um, what's it called? It's it's it Suits, ah,、oh, not Suits.、Um, you know that、um, there was a movie with him, Kingsman. Yeah, the Kingsman. Kingsman. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So、um, that actor plays Elton John, and、yeah. he physically doesn't resemble Elton John at all. But but he, he played does really such a well. Yeah, that's right. Of doing yeah everything else.、Uh-huh. So I feel like that is how Clive Owen tackles、oh. um, the role of Pilgrim. So they don't physically look very much alike.、Uh-huh. I mean, they've done the hair, they fixed like they changed his nose, they've done stuff to his、My、face、gosh. to make him resemble <laughs> Bill Clinton. Nine, mm-hmm. Circa nineteen ninety five. However, he's such a good actor. Like he's、mm-hmm. so good at doing the voice and the sort of like charm. Like Bill Clinton was very, very charming. Like all、yes. presidents need to be. They need to be super charismatic and charming.、Mm-hmm. You know, in order to get those kind of positions, get into those kind of positions. So it's an hour episode, and but it's really worth it. It's really,、mm-hmm. really worth it.、Um, I love the show a lot, and I'm really like looking forward to seeing what happens in the next eight episodes. Interesting. What about you, Helen? 
What have you been looking at? I reading? have finished reading Brave New Human earlier this week, mm-hmm. and I've been raving about yes. it to you. Yeah, by Sarah Dingle. Uh, I've been raving about it earlier this oh, week. Oh yes, so I've got to stop doing that. No, no, it's fine. It's just um, <laughs> our listeners would. I, I think I'd, it'll be remiss for me not to say this, but Helen and I spent about an hour or so just like Helen telling me about the horrifying stories that come out of horrifying yeah uh, kind of Sarah come out of Sarah Dingle's books and it really is just like much of to my understanding the source of the horror in which Helen tells me about these stories is um unregulated nature of that world of IVF and sort of yeah. like systematic bottom line is unregulation yeah, un- unregulated yeah. the systematic sort of manipulation and betrayal and ex distortion mm-hmm. done by a lot of these companies right. and the consequences of yeah. it and it's just um the lack of open discussion about it is mm-hmm. really quite troubling yeah no transparency um yeah. honestly guys uh, you should just check out helen's got to send me the book i cannot wait to read it sarah dingle brave mm-hmm. new is that what's called yeah. brave new world brave new human brave new human yes <laughs> brave new human yeah yeah i i've started reading pachinko by min jin lee last mm-hmm. night I thought it's going to be like a massive long book that it will take me ages to finish. Mm. But I think I'm going through... I pick up the writing very quickly. I think the style of writing is fantastic. Mm. It's very smooth because it's storytelling. I just finished a non-fiction by Sarah Dingo and I've got other non-fictions that I'm currently reading. So I just want to read something that's like a novel, that's a fiction that I can just enjoying that I don't have to really use my brain sounds that much mm. so I think I'm going to enjoy Pachinko very much even though it's a, a close to 400 pages it's so long yeah I like to I actually quite like to read historical setting novels that expands I'm the exact opposite I hate historical <laughs> fiction yeah I, I'm just not yeah. a really big fiction person like my um my consumption appetite when it comes to literature is like 90% non-fiction and 10% fiction and I also, th- mm-hmm. I also have a stringent belief that the best novels are under 200 pages long. <laughs> That's just my opinion. Um, obviously, there is one book, this uh, Donna Tartt's The Secret History, that um, is an exception. exception. Uh, but I attempted Pachinko a few years ago. I couldn't finish it. Um, I really found it too like lugubrious and long. Um, Min Jin Lee is mm. absolutely lovely. I met her in New York at a Strand event a few years ago. She came to mm-hmm. the Sydney Writers Festival that same year. I met her. Um, I didn't meet her in Sydney. She was too busy. I know that a lot of white people love this book, Helen, and I just I don't know why. Okay. White people love this book so much. Um, I found some of the stuff really... I know this is going to make me sound like an awful and um, very bad ally to Asians as an Asian, but I found um, I got kind of bored by what was going on in the story like as there's a lot of like you say you want to read fiction to let your mind rest let me assure you mm-hmm. um you will actually re- learn a lot reading this book like because min jing lee oh that's good um, spent mm-hmm. years and years researching comfort women ah. japan J- japanese comfort women during the japan in, japanese in occupation or maybe it was korean yeah, yeah, yeah. comfort women in japan i don't know see how terrible i am i don't remember these things <laughs> but it was like um it's a very good feminist um historical text mm-hmm. So um, I, ho- I hope yeah. you and like, like it. I'm not sure if I'll ever mm-hmm. attempt it again. But yeah, that's, that's not nothing against Min Jin Lee, obviously. It's just my prejudice against... Um, Your personal preference, preferences. Yeah, towards non-fiction. 
Yeah. Speaking of which, like I mm-hmm. am rereading um, Amiya Srinivasan's The Right to Sex, which I feel like I've talked to you on this podcast for like... You talk about it every oh, episode. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh my gosh, I feel so bad. <laughs> yeah, it's just like I can't, I can't. It's like my new Gia Tolentino. Like Gia Tolentino was my hero mm-hmm. for like, and she still remains my hero. And her book, Chuck Mirror. Last year. Uh, honestly, yeah. I can like remember every essay um, word for word. I'm so obsessed with Gia. Lately, Amia has taken over that reign and become my new idol. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's just a phenomenal book about like where to now for feminism, the effects of mm. um, sex, desire, pornography. Oh God, can't get enough of it. It's too much. It's so much to talk about feminism. Yeah. There's so much layers, so much boundaries, and so much walls that we have to climb over. Yeah, yeah. and so much of. The subjects that feminism is never going to be, it's not going to end in our generation. It will just continue to evolve. I always think that feminism is just going to evolve with time and the change of politics scenarios. I wonder if things will uh, improve for women as the world kind of, the borders around the world collapse in terms of like our connections, you know, how the internet has made the world smaller our connections are more accessible mm-hmm. to others. Um, but nation borders, you know, like I keep thinking about, like, we in the West, it's so easy for us Anglophones to say that, uh, you know, progress has been achieved. And yes, I can't deny that. However... There's a lot of places that hasn't achieved the basic rights. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Basic rights, um, you know, a lot of women are still getting raped in their marriage. A lot of women, most women in the developed countries don't even get to choose who they get to marry, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, a, a feminism that doesn't improve the status of all women is not a feminism that I would like to be That's a part right, of. I agree. And I just wonder, mm-hmm. how do we do that? How do we move across? Because I feel like religion and national culture is so strongly held, you know? Like, I know yeah, that of course. in Taiwan... I don't want to say on podcast about religion because I don't want to offend someone. Yeah. It's just hard to, to break the barriers in religion. Even though I'm atheist, I, I don't want to... I'm not in the position to call out on religions that the, the behaviours that I might... I wouldn't say disprove, that I just don't agree with. But I'm sure mm. that they have their own reasons to do that. And but that's the thing. There is yeah. there is no like I believe in a world where there should not there is like I can say this with all my humanity and mm-hmm. intellectual um authority at least in my authority I believe that no women should be submissive to a man. I but I don't believe any woman should be treated any differently or not given the same rights as any normal human male, you know? Mm-hmm. Um but the history of what um, religion has done and the history of nationhood and culture and I just think about my own Asian, our own Asian background, you know, what it means to be a good woman is still mm-hmm. very much like, you know, you're, you support your husband, you sacrifice yourself for your children. All these narratives are still so deeply ingrained in the sort of culture of Asian countries that I just don't know how that could ever dissolve any time soon yeah not any time soon it would take a long time probably yeah. not in our generation like even though that there's a study that if we want to see equality between men and 
woman there's another 257 years to go <laughs> it's a study came out earlier this year that's so sad <laughs> by the calculation 257 years that we can that reach so equality um on a night lighter note oh good i'm welcoming that <laughs> taiwan international festival in australia has kicked off yesterday uh we've purchased mm, our passes and uh, it's an online, online launch yeah it's an online launch Unfortunately, COVID has restricted our opening nights that we were going to screen, I think was going to screen two movies at the cinema. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we couldn't do that during the lockdown. So it was launched online. And we watched some of the short films yesterday. Yeah, which mm. one did you watch? So I watched um, an extraordinary short film called, I watched two short films, one called the one called Jax, which was quite funny. And then the uh, the other one, which I found absolutely extraordinary, sort of directed, animated, mm-hmm. uh, produced, edited by this one person, a Malaysian, uh, sorry, a Malaysian, Singaporean, Indian. Yeah, I forget uh, what his background is. Director Rahia Jagathiva. Yeah, um, he's Perth-based. And uh, the film was called The Quiet, mm-hmm. and it's absolutely extraordinary. It reminded me of kind of um, sort of uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Charlie, Co- not Charlie Kaufman. It reminded me of uh, the French director who often does Charlie Kaufman films. Um, I forget his name, but uh, you, I think the listeners who know who I'm talking about will know. Like he's done kind of like half animated, half real life kind Realistic, of stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to turn to my brain's trust and ask them um, mm-hmm. to look up the name. But uh, it's kind of like half animated and half, uh, there's a voiceover. kind of re- mm-hmm. reminded me of the film about Chomsky a few years ago where we where we see him in- being interviewed but also like, you know, there kind of are animations. Yeah, childlike yeah, images. Yeah, the background, yeah. Yeah, on, on, the, on the screen. It's only 10 minutes but... It's such a humanizing story about mm-hmm. memory and childhood dreams and like his kind of silence. Yeah, silence um, and what that means to him as a creative artist. I think Michelle Gondry was the name. Michelle Gondry okay. was the guy I was uh-huh. trying to say. Yeah. The film The Quiet has won, uh, we announced that it has won the short film competition for 2021's Taiwan Film Festival last night. And it's such an amazing it's only a ten minute film. However, it's it's done very great. It's done wonderfully in narrating it gives you the sense and really provokes your thoughts to think about life and the silence that you have and comparing it's kind of like a parallel universe of showing what happens it up in the space and also what happens down on Earth and mm. how that impacts one another. The narrating of the film is actually the director's father. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah, so it's really, really good. So I encourage everyone who have not purchased your pass for the Time Film Festival this year yet, go online and I think there are several different passes that you can yeah. get if you want to just watch the feature films or just individual ones. Yeah, 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 they're great. There are, there are a lot of different them. packages. Yeah, and there's a lot so, of ta- good Chinese movies this year. Oh, yeah, yeah. Filmmaker in focus is Chen Yuxun, which um, he's like a comedian director in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of uh, documentaries as well that I'm really mm-hmm. looking forward to watch. I like to watch documentaries about indigenous communities. So there's one about 
Aceh Ilan, the mm. tribe in Taiwan, and there's also one about the Malaysian First Nation people. Yeah, and I was very lucky to be able to review some of these, including the one Helen just mentioned about the um, Ajulian um, tribal mm-hmm. tr- tribal indigenous communities in Taiwan, which is so like underrepresented and under acknowledged uh, in the wider world. Even mm-hmm. Taiwanese people, you know, um, there's not much. It's almost like the indigenous community. Um, in a lot of different places, they're under-recognized, they're undervalued. Um, mm. And th- that documentary centers on a single, uh, middle-aged single mother of three who is trying to assume her role as a tribal leader. And um, it was so upsetting to watch because, like, it's such a, like, jolt. You know, you and I, Helen, we engage with Australian politics every day. We read mm. a lot of kind of um, books written by, you know, privileged people. You know, mm-hmm. I, I won't deny the truth in that. Like, you know, Amia Srinivasan, she was Oxford educated. You know, I mm-hmm. people who get to be published are tend to be more privileged, you know. Yeah. And so, like, it's such a jolt when I see a movie and it's just a... And it's important to realise this over and over again that there are so many women out there and women's stories that just never get told. That's right. And, yeah. and the level in which our lives are so different, I guess... There's no conclusion that I'm making with this statement. It's just like, it's just an observation that it's just this jolt I feel when I watch a documentary about someone so outside of my own experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess that's like the importance and the power of festivals like the Taiwanese Festival, Film Festival, where we get access to these kind of stories here in Australia, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. With subtitles. With, yeah, subtitles, with subtitles, with English subtitles, yeah. Yeah, the importance of storytelling and the importance of their voices to be here. Mm. Um, it's for us is always a learning experience, and you actually just you know expanded your horizon of seeing things as well. You just don't be exactly being stuck in a bubble and seeing the same thing over and over again. Exactly. Speaking of expanding my horizons, and just one more thing I want to mention before mm-hmm. we take a break and then we mm-hmm. jump into today's topic. Um, this morning I woke up at around 6, 6.30. I did a bit of yoga. Um, That's how I like to start my day, um, yoga or a walk outside. Uh, and then at 7.30 I hooked up online on a Zoom chat with Cassandra Lamb, who mm-hmm. runs the Cosmos Group Foundation. In She's based in Brooklyn, New York. And I had a one-on-one session with her about like our... So her group, Cosmos, is a community of Asian women around the world mm. who live in Western nations. Actually, I don't think you need to live in Western nations. Asian women coming together, talking about um, what it means to be an Asian woman. Oh, nice. And I... So I booked a one half-hour session with her. I ended up speaking to her for an hour because we went through so much. And I sat through like a... She took me through a eight-minute meditation where she Mm -hmm. kind of like asked me to check in on my body asked me questions like what does rest mean for you and like what kind of reaction do you get when when you hear the statement i am worthy of rest you know Mm -hmm. things like that and i actually sobbed quite a lot while i was doing this meditation because i realized there are still fundamental fundamental um beliefs i have about myself of unworthiness that still run through my body and my mind and Mm -hmm. my heart that i haven't that I haven't um, completely erased. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've been through therapy for like a decade. I still struggle with, you know, self-worth and anxiety. And um, in the last two years, I, I don't think I've given myself the opportunity to go to see a therapist and 
I think this morning session really made me think I really fucking need to go back to see a therapist. Yeah, that's very important. I think a lot, a lot of things that we need to unpack, and not just as a woman, as an Asian woman as well. You know, those <laughs> regarding the social hierarchy that we have, or not even positioned by ourselves. You know, positioned by others in the society. It just. Yeah. Makes a lot of differences that we need to unpack, and also a lot of traits that we in pretty much brainwashed since we we're kids that we need、oh, to、absolutely. unlearn as well. Yeah. Yeah.、Definitely. Yeah. A lot of unlearning. A unlearning. lot of unlearning. That's right. Absolutely. And that's like so exhausting. This like、mm-hmm. um uneducating yourself. Yeah. You know, uneducate. I like put like actually turning the table and like getting trying to flip. The switch on like all the narratives you were taught growing、mm-hmm. up,、mm-hmm. and and I just want to add also that there's so much burden that I feel like、uh, emotional burden that I don't acknowledge enough. Like for instance, yesterday I had a friend tell me that she was a white friend tell me that she was outside a cafe at six thirty in the morning in a wealthy suburb. She lives in a wealthy suburb,、mm-hmm. and、um, they like ten meters away from her, she saw a、um, old Greek. Man,、uh, sitting alone without a mask, and then three cops came out of a car and went up to this old man and fined him. They gave him a fine, issued a fine because he wasn't wearing a mask. And、mm. uh, my friend said that he had broken English.、Mm-hmm. And so, like for me, immediately, I just thought if that was one of my parents, a run in with a cop like that, it just like it made me so viscerally upset and angry because that 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 could have been my. You know my mom, for instance. You know,、mm-hmm. um, we don't. The cops know how to target people. You know, they go for the easy. Oh yeah, of course. They、It's、go for the sy- easy chips. Systematically racism. Yeah. Oh, absolutely.、Everywhere. It's it's just and repulsive. And people refuse to see that. People refuse know, to、yeah. see that. Because like the thing is that it's your own issue. Yeah. yeah, because the thing is, like,、um, my friend said, like, they the police could have gone down like fifty meters down the road and the beach where like a couple of people, like the other day, there were like hundreds of people、mm. sitting on the beach without,、uh, you know, without a mask. Like, why were they not being issued fines? You know,、mm-hmm. because they were. You know,、mm-hmm. I don't have to say it. You know, listeners can like, draw their ex- own conclusions. There are also exemptions for people, certain people who cannot have masks on. Yeah,、know? exactly. Like. Yeah, like、um, my friend was saying, like if she was approached, she could she knew ways in which to get out of the fine. Like you can say, oh, I have I have some medical issue. I was just exercising. You know,、mm-hmm. yeah. It's just like it's a like what really made me feel sick was the sort of semi violation in which what the police did because they knew that like like my my reaction was like how dare you pick on someone who you knew could not actually stand up for their own right because he didn't know any English.、Mm-hmm. You know, he was alone.、Mm-hmm. It's just so it makes me kind of so sick in the heart. It really does. What pangs me most is very explicit example of the establishing of existing social、um, racial hierarchies in society,、mm-hmm. which、yep. the police do day in day out, and that's only been exacerbated during this whole time of lockdown.、Mm-hmm. Uh, should we take a break? Let's take a break,、yep. and we'll be right back for our main topic of this episode. Yeah, talking about the Megawa. Hey guys, we're back. And so, every year in America, in New York, the center、mm-hmm. of the universe, 
the Metropolitan Museum of Art um, opened their Costume Institute Gala, also known as the Met Gala. And um, every year it happens in May, but last year it didn't happen because of COVID. COVID. Mm-hmm. And this year it was delayed because of the pandemic. Again. <laughs> and yes. And um, so the, Viet- the event um, marks the opening of the Costume Institute's fashion exhibit and it also serves as a fundraiser for the fashion exhibit so it's actually um one of the met ends up being one of the biggest fundraising nights in new york city every year the met focuses on a theme of that year's costume institute exhibit and the theme for 2021's exhibit was in america a lexicon of fashion and what met gala guests do um yeah i know it's kind of vague um they <laughs> encourage yeah they encourage to explore a modern vocabulary of american fashion sort of like be experimental i guess mm-hmm. like if you are yeah. someone like myself who like didn't know about these things um a few years ago i just didn't know what the hell the met was i just saw these like weird gowns and it seemed very performative and ridiculous. Celebrities, famous oh people, God. politicians yeah. rocking up for a PR orgy. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's a, that's what I said, yeah, PR orgy. It's like a shared obsession with celebrity. And um, what, what goes behind it is actually an extraordinary amount of planning and, like I said, like a PR exhibit, exhibit, exhibitionist's kind of orgy. Um, mm-hmm. It's like a, for, for Americans, it's like a shared obsession with celebrity and Mm. vogue each year kind of takes a range of pictures um i scrolled through this year's vogue um catalog and there's 179 images of celebrities and i have to say helen i thought i'm quite in on the like celebrity who's who but like more than half of the people photographed i had like no idea who they were no they were like singers yeah like I, I had no, no idea who idea. Rihanna was dating. Like, like she was, yeah, she's dating this guy called like Ace a- ASAP with like a dollar sign. I don't even know if that's how you say uh-huh. his name. Um, <laughs> there are like fashion designers. There were musicians. There were influencers that I just have never heard of. Before we go into like bitch about all the different weird stuff that we saw this year, I just want to give your <laughs> listeners a look, quick ro- rundown of what is involved. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the guests, most of the guests actually, um, understood understand the assignment of like walking down the uh, the red carpet as like an opportunity to showcase American designers. And so, how do you score an invitation? Since the mid nineties, um, the guest list has been decided by Anna Wintour, who is of course the editor at large of Vogue. And in order to attend the event, uh, the the tickets begin at roughly thirty thousand dollars per person. Mm-hmm. So that's like more than I make in a year. So um, you know already that bars most people. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I think celebrities for celebrities thirty thousand dollars is like the equivalent of one dollar for me. For me. <laughs> um, and um, after the red carpet, you basically like what happens is they um, they the guests get a look into the year's exhibit before gathering for dinner. So they go mm-hmm. to dinner, they have drinks, and they have they check out live performances. Um, during the dinner, you can actually book a whole table, and a whole table costs between 275000 to 500000 mm. So it's, like, extraordinary. This, this, this whole, like, night is an orgy of celebrity, wealth, wealth. and capitalism, basically. Yes. Um, and Elitist. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely elitism, yeah. Yeah, so that's generally basically what happens. Um, the stars who rock up 
spend months and months before the actual event night mm-hmm. to like get their dress ready to you know meet up with designers and stylists like i watched a video of hayley bieber getting ready hayley bieber is um justin bieber's wife of course she's got a lot of botox on her face but she's actually quite beautiful i don't know if that's she's naturally beautiful or because she's got a lot of <laughs> botox on her face all right okay um but yeah she wore this really gorgeous classic gown which like is like a black strapless gown that kind of has a zipper that opens up on the middle but it just closes yeah uh-huh. um, so she, i i find her very elegant but obviously you know it's justin bieber's wife um and she's, she's um, got the money to do that yeah she's got a lot of money yeah um she i believe she started out as a model um like a lot mm-hmm. of these people do uh i read a new yorker piece by rachel simey and she's been covering the met um gala for a number of years and she said that um, the Met is a chance for the guests to, to make a sort of political statement. And yes. let's start off with that, Helen, today. Um, yeah. So the most yeah, kind controversial. of... Controversial. <laughs> yeah, the most kind of um, talked about um, political statement was made by a- AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, Ocasio-Cortez who um, wore a white gown from mm-hmm. uh, a black designer based in Brooklyn. I believe her name is or- Aurora. Aurora James. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she wore a white gown which had the words tax the rich splashed across the back of her gown in red. Mm -hmm. And like when I saw this image, I first encountered it in Facebook and I started reading the comments and the comments were like, oh, what a hypocrite. Like, you know, um, you know, she's like saying tax the rich, but she herself is rich. You know, she's probably going to like, you know, mingle with the rich that night. You know, Mm -hmm. how, Mm -hmm. how could she like say tax the rich when she's like among them now? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I kind of was like, oh yeah, I can see the the logic of those arguments. And then I f- scrolled back up to the post and realized it was the Australian, oh. <laughs> like the Australian had posted. Yeah, of so like, course. they have yeah. the their conservative own conservative bias readers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Of course. But yeah, uh, I I believe that a lot of other people made some pretty interesting wardrobe decisions. I know that. Um, Shits Creek, um, David, the guy who plays David in Shits Creek, I forget his mm. actual name. Um, he wore something quite like loud and kind of circular and big. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Rihanna's boyfriend, Rocky ASAP, wrote, wore just like this blanket around himself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, people were quite like um, experimental. What I'm drawn to are men who like play around with gender stereotypes yeah so like some guys yeah dress more feminine which i really like um i like in the past mm-hmm. harry styles i believe last year did a great wardrobe decision i forget what it was but i remember liking it i have a lot to say about my favorites helen why don't we start with you what, what were your general thoughts uh my focus was on the controversial alexandria Ocasio cortez's white off the uh-huh. shoulder like a mermaid towel dress uh, with uh, red writing on the back saying text the rich you came across with the australian piece um, i read the guardian piece which is a bit more neutral about how they report things okay it says that new new york city elected officials are regularly invited and attend the met due to our responsibilities in overseeing our city's cultural institutions that serve the public uh, I was one of the several attendees. Dress is borrowed, so she came out and kind of explained that how she was involved with this uh, event, and even so, with a lot of critics uh, on her Instagram, 
she said that、mm. the median is the message. So she was essentially there, even though she's mingling、yeah. with the wealthy and the rich people, celebrities, who are in an who are in an event that most people with or average incomes could not be able to afford to attend. That alone. Most of us can just watch from afar. This is what she also said. She said, "Ultimately, the haters hated, and the people who are thoughtful were thoughtful. But we all had a conversation about texting the rich in front of the very people who lobby against it and punctuated the fourth wall of excess and spectacle." Sorry.、Um, mm. I think she was there to deliver a message and also making people uncomfortable, which is the objective. Which is a good objective, I think. You are there to make people uncomfortable, to actually make them think.、Mm. I'm sure that they've thought about it as well, but they've、mm. been pushed to force themselves to be to be up against AOC right in front of their face, saying that yeah, we need really, to fix. Like, did that really? Did did she really make them uncomfortable? Because、oh. like she still wore a pleasing yeah, gown. Yeah, that's still, true. She still she still she still operates in a very、mm. very conservative, beautiful, thin adjacent. She looks like a model. You know, she might as well be a model. Yeah. Like how is that? She she is privy to so many of those able bodied, conventionally gorgeous people. Like she's ex- like quote unquote acceptable in society.、Mm-hmm. So how does that? Make other people uncomfortable. I feel like she's just she's like one too, of them. She's there to raising the awareness. What、oh, what else、okay. can she be doing? I mean, she、yeah. has to be there. She was there. The one of the purpose was that she did use a, a woman of color designer. She didn't use a, another white woman's designer.、Mm. Um, and also, she's there to be talking about the tax gap. I do say, why not? I know that there are conflicting arguments.、Um, mm. And also, I've asked around our listeners, which is quite interesting. We've got different sides of responses.、Uh, let me just read out a couple of them.、Uh, There's a、mm. listener say that I like it. I don't really agree with people saying that it is contradictory because she was invited Leia for free because for her to do just that very different to rich white celebrities promoting messages that their action contradicts. Also, there's another side of. You know the argument is that I don't think she should have accepted the invitation at all. I admire AOC, but this is a really confusing move. She's smart enough to foresee the backlash that will happen by rubbing shoulders with the rich and famous. And finally,、mm. there's a comment saying that love everything about her. I've learned so much about American politics from her lives. I think that the media has targeting a lot on her because she's a woman of color. Apart from、mm. her, there were another two women that had messages on their dress, or、yeah. on their outfit. The first one was the、yeah. model, Cara. What's her surname? Cara Delevingne. Oh, Cara Delevingne. Yeah. yeah.、Um, she had the patriarchy. Yeah, she had the patri the patriarchy. While she's benefiting from the patriarchy herself, yeah, I know. I it's just like seriously,、um, <laughs> rich white women. That's so contradictive. <laughs> fem, f, that's like rich white women feminism. That's like that's like those um Louis Vuitton T-shirts of like the future is female <laughs> that cost like eight hundred fucking dollars from a few years ago. You know,、yeah. like it's all performative, man. It's、yeah. all performative. And another one, another politician, which is、uh, a Demo- Democratic New York representative, Congresswoman Caroline Maloney. She's another guest who had tried to convey messages through her dress.、Uh, it had banners on the 
behind the dress saying equal rights for women and she had a handheld purse clutch say yes yeah. to ERA which means the equal rights yeah. amendment yeah none of those two women has been targeted to question their uh contradictiveness of firstly yeah. that uh with Kara that she benefits so much from patriarchy and yeah, yeah. uh congresswoman Baloney that I actually seen someone brought out a video of her supporting the invasion of Afghanistan years ago. This is wow, one wow, yeah. just post 911. She was wearing a burqa full covering at a congress yes. and talking about her support mm. of the invasion of Afghanistan. So wow. no one wow, kind of yeah. like the media didn't talk about that, but all yeah. their focus was questioning AOC's move. Yeah. I think it's got a lot to do because that she's a person of color. Yeah. It's always the I, easiest target like you said. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I agree. I agree completely. And I also think it's um the fact that both Cara Delavini and um Caroline Maloney their their um, script on their attire was like very vague. Like, what does it mean mm. to peg the patriarchy? And what does it mean equal rights for women? It's so vague. Whereas yeah. AOC was like, tax the rich, you know? She was very like, direct forward. let's do... Yeah. yeah, it's very direct and it's straightforward. An action, and it's an like, action thing. It's an action, yeah. yeah. Whereas, like, peg the yeah. patriarchy. W- what is the patriarchy? The patriarchy is everywhere. It's, it's like everywhere. Air. Yeah, where you're going to It's like, air. how do you peg it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then equal rights for women... What does that even mean? Mm. I mean, we all know what it means, but like, what about the material? Um, what, what, why don't you what actions are you going to use? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. <sighs> yeah, well, I think my favorite, just like to, to talk about superficially now, who are my favorites <laughs> and who are my least favorites? Um, I know this is not very savory of me to say, but I think I will always be consistently disappointed by Billie Eilish's transformation. She looks like oh, a generic why? American bombshell now. Well, like, because, she, like, a lot of women, when, when she came of influence, when she was winning, the first time she was gaining attraction um, and winning Grammys a few years ago, she was, like, it was, you could tell she was still very pretty, but the way in which she presented herself to the world, you know, she had these weird green black hair, she had these weird nails, like, she looked like, an, like someone from another planet. Yeah, she was really unconventional. Person. Yeah. And, yeah, and think about all those women teenage girls out there who also were not like blonde and conventional looking like a sort of cheerleader image personality you know look think of all those women girls out there who she would have inspired by being someone in that position of power and looking like that Mm. and i just feel like she's um buying in i feel like she's such a sellout now for having dyed her hair blonde the dress that she wore to the met was like very very conservative she looked like a princess basically from Mm. from a fairy tale from like any disney fairy tale i'm only speaking about Billie eilish's appearance so i can't say anything about her music like she might be making amazing music so like listeners out there who want to counter me absolutely go ahead um but i'm just like purely speaking about the aestheticization of Billie Mm -hmm. eilish and the way in which she presents herself i find it like searingly disappointing that she's now just another gwyneth paltrow basically or like Mm. another marilyn monroe another grace kelly in saying that, I mean, I, I, I know I'm contradicting myself because I just told you, you know, I, how much I think Hayley Bieber's dress was so beautiful. And Hayley Bieber is, like, ridiculously skinny. Um, Hayley Bieber is, like, um, the the robot in which 
American Hollywood capitalist machinery has churned out. Mm-hmm. You know, I like um, countering Billie Eilish. I really liked what um, Naomi Osaka wore. She was like really, sh- she wore Louis Vuitton, but she looked very, very unconventional. Naomi's design was like a celebration of her Haitian and Japanese heritage. Mm-hmm. And she had this kind of sort of semi-geisha look about her, but it wasn't like exoticized. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, her hair was kind of like stuck to the side. Like if you have a look now, get your brain's trust to have a look at it now, Helen. Um, she had like a very sort of 3D-ish hair and she wore this like gown that looked very unusual. And just for me, the women who I've always respected through any facet of my life are women who don't confine themselves to historically conventionally sanctioned mechanics of what beauty is and i just feel like you know mm-hmm. kaya gerbra you know cindy cindy crawford's daughter she walked up in this beautiful um classic black gown i mean she's so beautiful and i i really respect her because she's doing great stuff with her instagram book club and this is like obviously a very controversial thing to say i just don't find I find it hard to admire, I, and I, I think this is going to speak to my very high, cruelly, cruelly high standards of respectability. But like respectability, but I find it. How am I going to put this in a nice way? I find it harder mm-hmm. to admire mm-hmm. women who are like conservatively attractive and who go out into the world dressed in a very conservative manner, in which they kind of milk out that conservatively attractive look than women who don't seek those kind of naturally sanctioned, historically sanctioned tropes of what beauty is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, historically, we're still very focused through, our, through the Western eyes lens of beauty standard. And the Western beauty standard is pretty much still... We're not even... We haven't even started talking about able body. We haven't started talking about size we're just purely talking about skin color and the hair color and i'm just going through actually vogue have a section about asians that attended this year's met gala oh nice i can see that there are a couple of the attendees the celebrities that wore like unconventional outfits Mm -hmm. if you look up now asians in met gala Mm -hmm. i'll get my yeah they are okay. actually pretty interesting. There's a couple of the outfits that are not as conventional, and I don't have words to describe fashion because I'm not an expertise. But definitely, Naomi Osaka one is pretty. It's very out there with the hairstyle and the combination of the color yeah. of her dress. The style of her dress is quite interesting. You know, you have a. I don't even know how to describe it. Like a show. Uh, well, it's that kind of like a combination. It's a combination of um purple blue bright blue um and she's wearing a, red a bright blue and um a red she's kind of wearing a red belt mm-hmm. or a sash, sash yeah. around her sort of like below her breast area and the um, and it's like a halter neck mm-hmm. so there's a red a black band connecting her dress to her around her neck and then she's kind of like wearing rufflets mm-hmm. along down her underarm like ruffles of black mm. material yeah, I find that like very, very dramatic. I like, I like what Naomi wore. Yeah, even though that we see, you said um, that there were 179 photos that was in the main section of Vogue for Met Gala. Yeah. There's only 11 <laughs> Asian photos I can see here. So there's a few, right. very, very few yeah, Asians yeah, yeah. that have attended this event. 
I just think um, Hollywood is like, just the fact that you need to be skinny in Hollywood is like in itself an abrasively constricting oh, kind damn, of, of course. eligibility. Yeah. And I hate, and I just, I don't know, I feel like I'm a bit of a luxist. Everyone's a luxist. Like I've actually, yeah. no, 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 I'm, I mean, um, I actually think that this is, um, I've been realising this about myself lately, that I tend to not really take, like if I'm walking into a party and there's like a bunch of people talking, I'm always drawn to the person who's like um, not skinny, not good looking, or like not um, charismatic. Like, somewhat tend to be drawn to people who are not the prettiest person mm-hmm. in the party. And it might actually be a tribal thing because I myself am not like super gorgeous. And so, like, I'm drawn to someone who looks like me. Um, and I feel like to be, if you're like, if you move in a body like Hayley Bieber's, um, you're always being the one who's mm-hmm. watched. And I am someone who has been the watcher. So in this world, there's watched mm-hmm. or the watcher. And I like people who are the watchers. And the watchers tend to be like, you know, um, journalists. You know, most, most you know, um, print journalists are not as good looking as, say, TV journalists. Mm, you know, there's like. There's definitely a differences. And yeah, and, um, and to be someone who is, you know, captured on camera at the Met, you are basically like just someone who has been born into a very nice looking body with a nice looking face. Well, I'm sure they work like, for, for it. For me, I'm like, yeah, so what? Oh, yeah, I'm not saying that they don't work for it, but I'm like, um, I, I just don't think that that in itself is like super admir- admirable. Mm-hmm. That's like uh, obviously very controversial to say, I know, but um, I'm saying this as someone who doesn't really understand fashion. I've always thought fashion is quite superficial and Hollywood quite superficial. Mm. And, like, one of my favourite people in the world, Margaret Zhang, who's now, like, the editor of Vogue in China. I've always wanted to be, like, someone who understood her because, like, she's so fucking clever. And yet, like, she's also of that world in which I find superficial. Like, she's so into fashion. Um, And I would love one day to, like, understand or be convinced by someone from that world to give me some sort of... um, Revelation. Intellectual Uh reason for why or how fashion um, makes the world a better place for women. Because mm. uh, I just think, like, it's it's a hard... If, if you're not skinny, it's hard for you to rejoice mm-hmm. in fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very well said. Before we go, I just want to do a quick response to one of the Insta comments uh, we've received on this oh, week, yeah. uh, which is regarding to our previous episode when we are talking about this our preferences of book choices that we read that are tend not to be written by white males. So the comment is that I, I haven't directly responded on the Insta because I hate, I know how this is going to get through it. So I don't want to have a confronting situation on the social media, which has always been, we know it's going to be brutal. <laughs> so the Insta comment says that, that's mm. races that don't want to read novels just because authors are white male. Yet this person's got great English. And the first thought that I had was like, okay, here we go. White fragility alert. <laughs> Obviously, this person has listened to our previous episode and we want to thank you for that. Um, I was just thinking that why don't you call us sexist too? Mm. Yeah, do, this per- really, do this person really understand what is racist? 
Mm. Therefore, it's like it, this. We're hurting this person's feeling because that's how that's what yeah. this person is regarded as racist. Okay, our preferences of literature, media consumptions of people、uh, of black, indigenous, and people of colors background over white people's work means that we're trying to uplift in those work who have no equal exposures to the white people's work. And I do wonder that if this person truly understands racism, understands racism, yeah. The white male novelists or writers are already benefiting so much from this systematic、uh, advantage they have, and there's no symmetrical impact effect for the black indigenous people of color、mm. writers. You know, racism means that you're disadvantaged through constructed social image and discrimination. So, please. To explain how we want to amplify the peop- the voices of people who are not white is racist. You know, is he say is this person still saying that the bookstores that are supporting、uh, people of colors work or LGBTQI plus writers work are also racist and sexist too? You know, he's like trying to push the reverse racism、mm. to us, and it's yeah, it's all、mm. bullshit. If anyone's seen that comment, yeah. If you want a response to it, go for it. But we're not gonna do a direct confrontation with it. I'm just gonna reply it on the podcast. Yeah. And this is what we get daily.、Mm. Being person of color, yeah, you know, yeah. every time. Yeah. yeah. I would like to say. I mean, I don't have anything prepared. I'm still kind of my thoughts on this are so sort of. Embedded in me that、um, that I haven't explicitly decided on how to phrase it verbally, but I will attempt to articulate、mm-hmm. it. And generally, just in two minutes or less. Well, first of all, I want to clarify that、um, I r- refuse to read fiction by white men, straight white men, because、um, mm-hmm. because, and the reason for that is one. Um, non-fiction. A lot of non-fiction、uh, is not about the person. It's about just like world stuff, and I、mm-hmm. don't have to be. I don't necessarily have to. Wh- like when someone is writing about the world and not themselves, or not writing from a perspective or a story, because、um, every everything that's written is from someone's bias. You know, I don't. We can't deny that. But like a non-fiction、mm. piece is a writer、yeah. is more aware of not bringing themselves into a story. And so, like, if I want to read, say, a, if I want to read、mm-hmm. a book about、um, plants or animals or insects,、um, I don't. I would very happily pick up a book and not really care about who wrote it. When it comes to fiction, though, when it comes、mm-hmm. to storytelling, I'm very, very conscious of the fact that it was that this story has been constructed through a white person's lens. I, I'm aware that it's been constructed through the experience. The decades of experience of、mm. a person who has lived in a body that has assumed and been the recipient, the recipient, the recipient of、um, certain privileges, which means that necessarily、yeah. they they see the world in a certain way, which I don't want to empathize with. That's all it is. Like, like you could say, okay, well, how about a white guy,、um, a straight white guy, writing a story about a black person? I do not want. To engage with that, you know, first of all, and then so you can say, okay, so you never want to engage with a、um, character or a story from a white male straight perspective. That is, yeah, essentially what I'm saying. When I turn to a work of fiction, a novel, I have done my due course. I have done thirty years where I've been taught 
that mm. that is the only way to engage with the story. You know, the, the straight white male experience, the protagonist, um, you know, Catcher in the Y, Catch-22, um, The Great Gatsby, anything by Shakespeare, anything by Dickens, anything by Jack Kerouac, anything by, the list goes on, Philip Roth, Norman Mailer, all those men. Like, those men and their works have been universalised and I have spent 30 years um, assuming that what real literature is and assuming the role of empathising, the sort of um, active mm-hmm. intellectual and emotional burden of putting myself in those shoes. That's 30 years worth. Like, I'm so happy to let that go. You know, that's all I'm saying. I'm so mm-hmm. happy to let that go and no longer engage with all those things. And I, like, want to engage in things that are, like... Um, not universalized and I want to make that the center of my world you know I want to make a transgender person who is non-binary uh, as well and um, sorry a transgender uh, person who's in a wheelchair and they write a story about something like I want to engage with their um, sort of characters and their way of seeing the world that is mm-hmm. fundamentally for me mm-hmm. much more interesting than the perspective mm-hmm. of someone who's moved in a body which has assumed a lot of privileges. It's very well said. I agree everything what you've just said. And I think for me, it's just, I just want to read stories that's different. I don't want to read stories that's just seen from the same lens over and over mm. again. Yeah, yeah, me too, Helen. That's how me I sum too. it up. <laughs> me too, absolutely, me too. Um, and that's what really irks me, like when, when really famous books get famous and... And I read the story and they're, like, telling the same sort of boring tropes, like, of, you know, um, mm-hmm. a young girl getting uh, a young girl getting um, into an affair with an older man. Boring. I've read that before. Or, like, um, two white teenagers um, not sure whether they want to date or not, but, like, often coming in and out of, you know, boring, <laughs> you know, like, or it's just, yeah, basic tropes that don't excite me or don't expand my world. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll, yeah. I'll just happily hold my hand up and walk away. Okay, so that's the end of our episode. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple. Remember to give us a five star rating if you have enjoyed our show. And we welcome listeners to send us your feedback or any topics topics you would like us to explore. Check out our updates on socials and make sure that you share with your friends to help us to extend the visibility of Asian bitches down under. And of course, continue the intersectionality in the podcast industry. So that's the episode for this week. We'll chat to you next time. Stay safe. Chill. Bye. Stay safe. Bye.